Welcome to Thoughts from Home, your conservation podcast from the National Conservation Training Center. We're located along the Potomac River in historic Shepherdstown, West Virginia, and are home to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Throughout this series, we'll be talking with experts, authors, and a variety of other guests to bring you the most up-to-date information, events, and happenings here at the National Conservation Training Center. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. In this episode of Thoughts from Home, Mark Madison, our Fish and Wildlife Historian, talks with the NCTC Director Steve Chase about NCTC, who we are, what we do, and other information you may not know. Hi, I'm Mark Madison, the Historian at the National Conservation Training Center, and for today's podcast, we're going to talk to Steve Chase, who is the Director of the National Conservation Training Center. And Steve, the first obvious question for people that are new to our facility is what is the National Conservation Training Center? Well, good morning, Mark. The National Conservation Training Center is the primary training facility for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. It's also a gathering place for people across conservation who can come to our campus, discuss conservation challenges, and hopefully working together, figure out solutions to some of these incredibly difficult things that we face. And where is it located? Uh, We're located along the Potomac River in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. We have an amazing campus. It's about 500 acres, and we've developed about 100 acres of that. We've got two big classroom buildings, a lab building, a auditorium, four dormitories that hold about 225 people, physical training facility, and a beautiful commons building that has our dining hall and a big multi-purpose room where we can bring a lot of people together. We also have other facilities to support our training mission and our outreach mission, and we have an amazing video uh, production facility. We have very talented graphic designers. We have an amazing library uh, and library staff that serves the entire Fish and Wildlife Service. And last but not least, because I know you're wondering, we have an amazing history function with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Museum and Archives which is um, holds a collection of more than half a million objects from the history of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the history of American conservation. So you can come to our archive and hold Rachel Carson's magnifying glass, hold the Murray's copy of a Sand County Almanac, and look at one of the original Pelican Island refuge signs and the shotgun from the first National Wildlife Refuge Manager. And I'm only touching the very surface of everything that we have. It's just an amazing collection. There's definitely a lot to see and do at NCTC. Is it a federal facility? Yeah. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is probably the premier governmental organization uh, in the world. 
that uh, works to conserve fish, wildlife, and plants for the benefit of the American people and for the benefit of everyone. One of the oldest conservation organizations, too, and maybe we'll touch yes. on that in a future broadcast. How many people work at NCTC and, and what do they do? Well, we have about 110 U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service staff, and they work our entire curriculum of training programs. We also have people that manage um, all of our events. We have people to watch over our campus, make sure it's maintained well. And then we also have the folks I mentioned a few minutes ago that do the various um, media-oriented work and information technology work, uh, knowledge management, things like that. In addition to those Fish and Wildlife Service folks, we also have about 100 or so contract staff who run our hotel services, our food services. They make sure our classrooms are tidy and set up properly for each group. We also have a staff that uh, maintains all the various systems, building systems on the campus to make sure that everything's working well and everybody's comfortable. Steve, give us a sense of the breadth and scope of, of courses that are offered out here. I think they can be broken down into two major categories technical classes that look at, say, things like what is Section 7 of the Endangered Species Act, or how do I identify certain plant species and wetlands, or how do I identify ducks that I see in the marsh that I'm working to manage. So we have many courses like that that are more science-based, more technical knowledge-based type topics. Then we move over to what some people might call softer topics, although I think they're some of the most important classes we have, meaning leadership. We also do various program-based academies. So if you're new to the National Wildlife Refuge System, you have a career goal of being a refuge manager. Probably one of the first steps you'd want to take training-wise would be to apply and uh, get into the uh, Refuge Academy that runs three weeks, uh, a three-week program every year where people learn about what it means to run a refuge. So who are the students that come out to NCTC for, for either courses or events? Well, I, I think we can break them into two groups as well. Uh, the first would be Fish and Wildlife Service professionals who come to take training so they can build their competencies and be able to do their jobs better. We have a number of courses that I call proprietary courses that are focused just for those Fish and Wildlife Service folks. Then we have a whole nother suite of courses um, crossing all sorts of topics where we want to have uh, people from across the conservation community come in to that class so everybody can learn together. We think that having really diverse groups of people in many of our classes allows um, our class participants to better understand where their 
classroom peers are coming from, what their experiences are, what their perspectives are on certain conservation topics. We think bringing all that together in the classroom allows us to be able to work better together in the future and also find better solutions to the very complex problems that we face. Are all the courses, Steve, in person or do we offer online courses too at NCTC? Most of them in the past were in person and we did do some uh, distance learning programs, but with the advent of the pandemic, we had to, in very rapid order, retool our training program to almost all virtual uh, training programs. So right now, as we're still sitting out the pandemic, most of our training, if not all, right now is done on a team screen or a Zoom screen. And Steve, how do folks sign up for courses at NCTC? We have a website that has a lot of information about um, what courses we're offering and information on how to sign up for those courses. Typically for folks that aren't in the Fish and Wildlife Service, there can be a tuition fee, but that depends on the course. And the best thing to do is to go to our website, which is nctc.fws.gov, and um, just roam around on the website and see what our offerings are. You mentioned we moved to a lot of online courses uh, due to the pandemic, but when the pandemic is over, can people come to NCTC? Is it open to the public? Technically, NCTC is not open to the public. We're open uh, for all to come and take our classes, but we're not like, say, a state park or, an, or a national park or a national wildlife refuge where we invite visitors out every day. We do occasionally have public programs Mostly um, the way we do it is conservation lectures in our auditorium where people come in in the evening and uh, watch a program usually put on by very prominent conservationists or academics talking about conservation issues. So during the pandemic, what's NCTC doing to try to keep folks safe? Well, we follow all of the Center for Disease Control protocols, uh, which means you have to worry about masking, you have to worry about keeping areas of the campus clean where we do have people around and activity. And we've been doing, I think, a very good job of that. We do have a small staff that's on campus. And I guess one good thing about the pandemic is that it's allowed us to do a fair amount of um, maintenance and renovation projects that would have been much more difficult if we had guests on campus. So that's worked out pretty good for us. But I think when people come back to campus, um, they're going to, um, they'll need to expect that we're going to be following whatever protocols come down from the CDC and other agencies like OSHA that are designed to keep people as safe as possible and keep infection rates um, as minimal as possible. 
And just to follow up on what you said before, a lot of information that Steve presented is also available on our website, which is nctc.fws.gov. We also have a Facebook page that's full of wonderful images that describe the work at NCTC. And then Steve mentioned the heritage work. There's also a USFWS History Facebook and, and Twitter. So Steve, the most popular residents and instructors on campus are a pair of bald eagles that, that recently had 6.2 million views on our Facebook page. Tell us a little about the NCTC Eagle Cam. Yeah, that was really, really amazing that after many years of these various eagles being up in that nest, that things finally went viral and people all over the country are seeing these two birds. Back in the fall of 2005, we went up in this eagle nest that's uh, located about 100 feet up in a sycamore tree on our campus. It's about three or 400 yards up from the riverbank. And we were able to put a camera in and we started watching this pair of eagles have eaglets every year and it, it built quite a following early on in say 2006 2007 there weren't many bird cams around the country and the nctc bird cam our uh, eagle cam uh, was one of the most viewed but not many people knew that they could watch eagles back then so we never had a lot of uh, people watching over time more and more people started watching it and we we started to get quite a following with a very dedicated core group of people who would watch this cam literally 24 7 watching all the activity and a lot of that activity is very inspiring and wonderful to see, but we found over time that nature isn't necessarily always wonderful. It can be cruel, and we've watched um, conflict in the nest. We've watched young birds um, not survive uh, their first uh, few days in the nest. Um, watching the nest, we can see how much nest competition there is in the Chesapeake Bay watershed now. There's bald eagles all over the place. And right now we are on our second male in the nest and our second female. The current male has been there about 10 years and the current female has been there about three years. And um, we're recording this podcast on a Monday Two days ago on Saturday, we actually had our first egg hatch uh, from the clutch of two eggs that they've been incubating for a number of weeks now. And um, it's it's always very inspiring to see this tiny little eaglet being fed by this gigantic uh, adult bald eagle. And it's really neat to watch over the next several weeks how quickly the young eagle will grow and eventually uh, in a couple months it'll be the same size as the adults these birds are very lucky because they're so close to the potomac river and as our interviewer dr madison knows um the fishing down in the potomac is quite good 
So these birds have a consistent supply of fish that they can bring up to the nest. Although one thing I did learn about eagles is they're also scavengers. So occasionally we'll see a duck or a goose brought in. Sometimes we'll see roadkill brought in. Um, they're very opportunistic about uh, food that they might collect. And again, that's something that I didn't really know until I started watching the cam. We've um, gotten a lot of requests over the years for technical assistance from other folks that wanted to start wildlife cams. And I'd say 15 years later after we started our cam, uh, wildlife cams are pretty prevalent on the internet and there are many, many different eagle cams that you can watch. We've recently put up a very high resolution, high tech camera and very good software for viewers, which allows you to see these birds as if you were sitting in the nest with them. And it also allows you to back up the video. Uh, so if something's happened that's interesting, like a feeding or something, and you missed it, you can back up the video and be able to watch that. So we're really, really proud of this camera. We think it um, tells the story of the American bald eagle, which was at one point almost extinct due to contaminants in our environment and was brought back very successfully to today where there's lots of bald eagles around. Yes, you did mention fishing, and I have to say the bald eagle is much more successful than I am. Every time I'm on the river, I see it <laughs> catching a fish, and, and that's one unique activity folks can do when they're not in courses at NCTC. What are some other fun things that people can do in their uh, off-class hours? Well, we have a number of things people can do. We've got fire pits uh, that people can hang out at. We have uh, occasional programs around the fire. We also have a lounge where people can gather and hang out. We find that some of the best networking and some of the best conversations happen after class. So really these social times in the evening are very integral to our programs. And I think they make a big difference. Um, you can come to a class and you'll be there with 30 other people and you don't know anyone. Usually by the time you leave, you know most of the people in the class. You've got their email, you've got their phone number, and um, you're able to build relationships that can help you do your job better in the future. One of the really neat things about NCTC is the dorms are named after historical figures, Rachel Carson, Olas and Marty Murray, Ding Darling, and Aldo Leopold. The center of the campus is a, a, a beautifully recently renovated museum, and there's history everywhere. We used to joke about the restrooms, and we're working on that. Why is history important uh, at NCTC? We designed history um, into the campus at NCTC because we think it's very, very important that conservation professionals in 2021 know something about the conservation professionals of 1971 or 1951 or 1931 or 1871. <laughs> These people all faced significant conservation challenges and 
they were able to make progress through a combination of creativity, scientific knowledge, and resilience and grit. And we think those same competencies are important today. And so it's really, really important that people understand what was going on back in those previous times. The mission of the services changed over the years. And depending on the times, say in 1914, Congress gave our agency money to kill predators. And as we look back on that today, I think most of us shudder at that thought. Uh, predators are an integral part of an ecosystem. And without them, things just get thrown out of balance. But back in 1914, they thought that predators took away animals that people like to hunt, or they impacted their herds of cattle and sheep. And they thought the only good predator was a dead predator. 20 years after that, people started thinking in a more ecological way and move up to the 1990s, uh, where there were no wolves left in the Yellowstone ecosystem. And the Fish and Wildlife Service reintroduced wolves to Yellowstone National Park and to the Northern Rockies. And today, we have a much healthier population of wolves. And we've been able to see the positive ecological changes that have taken place after we reintroduce those predators. So NCTC has been open how many years now, Steve? Is it 23 or 24? What are we? Yeah, we opened in 1997. So in a couple more months, it'll be 24 years. Who are some of the more famous people that have come through NCTC over that? We've had amazing visitors over the years. We've had two United States presidents visit. We've had many members of Congress, but of more interest to our audience, we've had some of the great conservationists in the last 50 years have come to NCTC and participated in various courses and programs. There was one uh, class we did called Ecosystem Management, and it was being held during the week that we had a, a symposium on the Leopolds, and two of Aldo Leopold's daughters were at that conference, and they came and sat in on that ecosystem management class. And what an amazing opportunity for the students of that class to actually be there with members of the Leopold family who really wrote the blueprint for Aldo Leopold, their father, wrote the blueprint for ecological thinking in the U.S., we also had an amazing event called Firing Grit in 1999. It was probably the greatest gathering of American nature writers that's ever occurred. And some of the greatest living nature writers were at the conference, people like Barry Lopez and Peter Matheson and Wendell Berry and Jerry Tempest Williams and Rick Bass and Bill McKibben, and I could go on and on and on. It was just an amazing event that folks um, who participated will never forget. 
we've also had had the opportunity to have figures from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service history all come together at the same time. And uh, over the years, we've held two director forums where we gather all of the past and the present director of the Fish and Wildlife Service to sit down uh, in a panel format and discuss the challenges that they faced and how they worked through those challenges. And I remember on the first time we did that, one of the questions was if you could talk to a Fish and Wildlife Service employee in 25 years, what would you say? And Lynn Greenwald, who I think is one of our great directors of, of all time, had a wonderful answer. And Mark, I'm just thinking that it's almost at a point where it's 25 years later. And we'll need to pull that video and start showing it to classes. Uh, and we can all see how Lynn's words fit in, in 2021. I remember part of Lynn's statement was was a charge, basically, the equivalent, yeah. you know, you stand on the shoulders of giants and, and <laughs> we built this mission. And, you know, it, it's up to you to do your utmost. You know, you mentioned before the Leopold children. It reminded me of uh, one of our conservation heroes, Rosalie Edge, early uh, 20th century ornithologist, advocate for protecting birds, right at the beginning of the Migratory Bird Treaty and Act. Was it her ne nephew and niece uh, that we, we had a picture of next to her conservation hero plaque? That was kind of a neat memory. Yeah, yeah, it was. Although, are you sure when their grant, her <laughs> it might have been. I mean, she would have, uh, they might have been her grandkids. But one of the things that this all ties into is passing on this conservation legacy to the right. next generation, either Leopold's uh, descendants or Rosalie Edge's descendants or Native Americans or other youth that might be interested in coming to work for us or any type of environmental career in the future. Do you want to talk just a little, Steve, about some of those programs to attract youth sure. um, to environmental careers? Back in 2005, a book got published, it was right around then, called Last Child in the Woods. And the author was a guy named Richard Louvre. And we had a gathering at NCTC where Rich came and spoke about his book. And the gist of the book is the children in 2004 just don't look at the outdoors and the natural world the way perhaps we all did when we were children. And this loss of contact with the natural world is having very negative effects on both the health and the outlook of the of the these young people. So after Rich spoke, we talked to him and said, isn't it time for us to pull together a national gathering that would really look at this topic from many different viewpoints and see if we can figure out a plan to move forward? And that uh, gathering was called the National Dialogue on Children and Nature. And that was really the event that finally sparked off the entire movement of 
connecting people with nature. And it's become a really big thing. So many years, you know, 15, 16 years later, there are many organizations, both in urban and rural areas, that are working with a very diverse group of people with diverse backgrounds, all working together to try to get young people and and even beyond young people, trying to get everybody back outside. Um, We think it's really, really important that people stay engaged in the outdoors, stay engaged with wildlife. If we don't tell people our stories, if we don't talk about um, how important the natural world is to our lives, there could be a time where the natural world is no longer relevant. And those would be dark days indeed. Related to that, inspiring uh, younger people, do you want to talk a little about the Native Youth Congress we have out here for high school students? Yeah, the Native Youth Congress that we do every year brings young people from tribal communities across the country and really across the globe. We have young people that come from Samoa. We have young people that come from Alaska, people that come from the Southwest of the U.S., from the upper Midwest, um, from the Northeast, from Florida. They, They come from all over. And we bring them together at NCTC for a week to celebrate their cultures, to celebrate what they can contribute to our society and what they can contribute to conservation. And I'll tell you, it's one of the most inspiring events that for me that we've ever had at NCTC. It's very, very inspiring to us because we don't give these kids any more than some instructions on what they're going to do for the week. They put together their plans. They figure out what they want to focus on for the week. And then they figure out what kind of outcomes and post-conference work they want to do. We actually have a small amount of money put aside. So when these young people leave the NCTC go back to their communities. If they have a really good idea on ways to engage their communities in conservation, we can give them a micro grant to help them actually uh, do the work that they envision. So we're really, really psyched about this program. Of course, with the pandemic, it's made it difficult to hold it in person. We had to cancel it last year, and this year it's going to be virtual. But I expect by 2022, we'll be back uh, on campus with these young people. And I, I just think it's a fantastic program. It's one of my highlights, too. It's actually one of the most interesting and awesome things we do. We're just about at the end of our time. Is there one more memory or favorite part of your job you want to share, Steve? A really neat part of the job is walking around campus and seeing people that have come in from all over the country. And we're really, really lucky in the Fish and Wildlife Service. We only have about 8,000 employees. And I'm not saying that I know all 8,000. I don't. But an, an organization that's nationally based 
with only 8,000 people means that it can be more of a family than some big bureaucracy. And with all due respect to my National Park Service colleagues, they got 25,000 people. That's a bureaucracy. We got 8,000. We're more of a family. And it's really, really great to see people um, every several months or every year to come back to NCTC to take another class, to be a participant in another meeting. And what it makes it is the home of the Fish and Wildlife Service. And we're really, really fortunate that all the folks in the Fish and Wildlife Service see NCTC as the home of our agency and the home of the important work that, that we all do across the country. Well, that sounds like a perfect way to go out, Steve. Thanks so much for painting such an evocative picture of NCTC, hopefully encouraging more people to come out here. Like you said, a lot of folks come out. It's a great place for those of us that are fortunate enough to work there to, to meet a large cadre of our employees. And it's just a very special place. And I think you, you shared some of that. I'd also like to thank those of you who took the time to listen to this podcast. Thanks very much. And hopefully you'll listen to our other podcasts. Yeah, thanks so much, Mark. That was fun. It was fun. Thank you for listening to the National Conservation Training Center podcast series. If you have feedback, thoughts, or stories you'd like to share, contact us at nctc underscore podcast at fws.gov.